the pest did a really, really nice job. Yeah, that's just sad. It really is. It was, I was sadder once I'd done that than, than before. Even. It was sad. Wow. I mean, this is was there. She came by herself. Was she friends with him? Or? I think so. They're all the same year. Well, she'd be, she'd be two years younger. Yeah, she? but that is a big crew. Yeah, I mean. yeah and, and there were elements of it. I can see Nikki having been uh, yeah. maybe outside of it for a little bit. <laughs> I can see that, too. <laughs> oh. Well, welcome. So glad you're here. Wearing a Cubby's hat. That's good. Okay. Keep it out for a while. Mike Valido is in here, so someone's got to wear a Cubby's hat and tell me how great they're doing this year. And I'm happy for them. I hope they do very well. It's been a while since they've done very well. Faith. Faith. We'll talk about faith. Hey, let's pray. We're, we're going to dig right in, and uh, we, we just trust that tonight's going to be encouragement uh, <coughs> for your heart. Father, I thank you for each of the opportunities that we have to open up the book, and we pray tonight, Lord, that it would be inspiring, convicting. We pray, Father, that your Spirit would just um, have complete freedom in our lives. And we ask you, Lord, more than anything, that you would do something special tonight. Um, you always want to. It's just sometimes our heart, our hearts are are distant, or our hearts are a little calloused, or, or our hearts just um, are tired. We pray that the Spirit would be able to get through all that, and that you would uh, receive honor and glory. Pray, Father, that uh, nothing I say gets in the way. In your name, amen. amen. If I could uh, begin just by um, painting a picture. <coughs> the Apostle Paul is in prison. It's not like any other prison that you or I would know of. It would probably be some prison that maybe we could imagine, or maybe we've seen some movies about, but, but he's chained up, and he's in a dimly lit place. He's there with other prisoners, and there's sewage, and sickness, and coughing, and hacking, and even, in some ways, the... The draft and and the coldness is there. Can you shut that? Thank you. And and he knows there's not a lot of time left on this planet. You would think that his mind would be racing. You would think that he would be questioning God at this time. Now, as you know, the Apostle Paul didn't follow God with all of his heart most of his life. He thought he was following God, and he thought he was God's messenger, but, but he was out to literally wipe out Christians. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus and changed his perspective. He saw God differently, and he turned almost instantly, there's not a lot of stories like this, from an enemy of the cross 
to a friend of the cross. He started preaching almost immediately. People couldn't even believe the transformation. Now, I believe every one of you guys who are here are being transformed. I get it. And, and God is chipping away little things. Maybe some huge things. Maybe some big things, you know. But Paul, his chipping happened immediately. And he never arrived, but, but he started at that time just talking about the kingdom and talking about this, this person, Jesus, that he met and transformed him. And his heart was for the Jews. And you know that as he continually went in the synagogues, almost every place he went, and he tried to convince the Jews that the Messiah was here. But the Jews didn't listen that well. And some of them responded, and, and eventually he got the idea that God said, hey, I really want you to be my messenger of the Gentiles. Which had to seem odd to him again. So he spent the majority of his life taking missionary trips, planting churches all over, and this unbelievably educated Jew was now preaching and teaching to the Gentiles. Well, during this missionary time, he had gone through quite a bit of persecution, quite a bit of hurt, quite a bit of discouragement. And now he was at the end of his life. And he knew he was at the end of his life. And he figured, you know, I need to write Timothy. And we know that he's writing Timothy, although we get a little bit of an idea in 1 Timothy. We know his last words are here in 2 Timothy. We know that it's just going to be a few weeks, a few months, not a whole lot of time before he's killed in Rome. And so he's trying to write this letter in a very ugly circumstance to pump Timothy's tires. We know Timothy was discouraged. We know that Timothy um, was struggling in some areas. And so Paul's last gasp, last desire was to pass the baton. Timothy, you're the guy. You are the young man. You, you're at the church that I probably love the most there in Ephesus. He would never admit that because Paul continued to pray for all these churches that he planted. But, but he knew that this one was special. He knew that Timothy was special. And in the first two chapters as we spent time there, Paul poured, poured his heart out to Timothy. And I guess that's one of the reasons I chose, at least in this kind of a mini-study, why we look at Second Timothy. You know, back in my early days, I shared with you, well, one of the summers at camp, we studied Second Timothy back a million years ago, and not only studied it, but memorized it. And as I look at this text, I, I wonder what it would take for me to memorize this thing again. You did it once. It might come back. Maybe not as easy. I'd have to remember what version I memorized it in, that's for sure. But, but Paul desired more than anything for Timothy to get it and to move forward with it. We started off, just a very quick review, Paul was an apostle. 
He was so grateful for who God was. And, and he continually thanked God for all the good things in his life in spite of being in this ugly circumstance. His, he was grateful for Timothy and for his sincere faith. And he began from the very beginning of 2 Timothy to be able to say, Hey, Timothy, use your gift. It's important. You're a pastor. You've been called to care for sheep. Make sure that you shepherd your flock well. He said, don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of me. There are many people that are, but don't. Because the gospel is an unbelievable power. He says, I want you to be strong, especially in the message of grace. I, I know that there's going to be a lot of messages out there. But to this dying day, the thing that overwhelms me is that God took the greatest of all sinners. And that's what Paul calls himself. It says, I made you a church planner. I made you an author of much of the New Testament. God's grace is amazing. It, it doesn't even begin for us to understand all that. He said, I want you to teach the truth that I taught you. I want you to endure suffering. I want you to keep yourself pure. And I want you not only to pursue holiness and clean, as we kind of describe that, but I want you to run away from anything that might deter you from doing what God wants you to do. Then last week, if you were with us, we went through about the first nine verses. And Paul was just warning again Timothy, hey, it's going to get tough in these last days. People, but especially leaders, are going to be self-focused. You're not going to understand all the things that God wants you to understand. And one of the, well, the earmarks is that people are going to act really religious, especially leaders, but they are not going to experience any power. So you're going to have a bunch of people talk about religion, talk about faith, talk about church, but it doesn't make any kind of a difference in their life. Let's turn to chapter 3, starting at verse 10. And I'm just going to warn you, today I'm, I'm not sure where we're going to kind of deviate from 2 Timothy but we are going to use the scriptures a lot. And if you don't have one, I think you probably all have one. I have a couple up here. But, but we're going to be reading lots of different scripture today apart uh, from this uh, first four verses. But remember, Paul had been talking about poor leaders in the church. That's my bent on those first few verses. And then he says this in verse 10. But you, Timothy, he said, I just want you to remember... There's a bunch of people who are self-focused. There's a bunch of people there that, that really uh, care more about their own needs and their own pleasure and so on. They don't even have any, come on in, any kind of power at all. But what I want you to know is that realistically, you, Timothy, you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. 
You know all about how he was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others, and they themselves will be deceived. The Apostle Paul, in prison, reminds Timothy of their life together. You know, one of the things you have to remember is that Paul grew up in the Hebrew system. And his understanding of discipleship or his understanding of mentoring was not this Greek kind of mentality like we have right now, where you're sitting in pews or sitting in chairs and uh, there is a professor or there's a pastor or there's a Bible teacher and they are spewing great words of wisdom and you're going to learn that and go home and be able to apply three minutes or four minutes or five minutes of what you've heard. All right. What Paul did is do exactly what all Jewish boys did who sat underneath the rabbi. He studied under Gamaliel, one of the most famous of all the rabbis. And he lived with Gamaliel for about three years. They ate together, they taught, they walked down, they saw life, and they talked about God as a result. Well, Paul had the same mentality. Uh, we recognize this even in Second Second Timothy chapter two verse two, when Paul said to Timothy, he said, "Hey, I just want to remind you, take this, these things which I talked to you about, and make sure that you pass them on to each other." So Paul's mentality was this: is that I lived with you, Timothy. Timothy, you know what I teach. I like to. Just go a little bit deeper here and, and just share with you um, what Paul taught Timothy was doctrine. And this is something that, again, most people will look at and say, well, really, Rick, doctrine for the most part or systematic theology or theology or any of those different things, that's really for seminarians or those are for missionaries or those are for Bible school people, but but doctrine, you know, that's, that's kind of um, way over my head. And in some cases, I would agree with him. But realistically, there are some doctrines, many doctrines, which I think each one of us need to know. There are some unbelievably good books out right now. Um, that I, I just think will encourage you and help you and put the Bible in perspective. And oftentimes, we don't want to dig too deep. But if you have any kind of bent toward that, or you'd like to dig a little bit deeper, or you'd like to read some of these things, I'd be happy to give you some books. One book I'm reading right now uh, is actually by Tony Evans. And I don't know how many of you listen to Tony Evans. I mean, to be quite honest, unless you're black um, and, and you don't like shouting, you know, sometimes he's probably not the easiest guy in the world to listen to, you know. He always sounds hoarse. I have no idea what his vocal cords, how they even can, can handle his speaking, you know, half the time. But, but Tony just got through um, writing, I don't know if he wrote it, I don't know if his people wrote it, but it's a book about this thick on the kingdom. 
And he basically has shared this. He said, I have learned more about the kingdom in these past few years, and I tried to put everything down in this book. It is an amazing book. Um, it's easy to read, actually, all right? But it's pretty deep. And what I enjoy about books like this is that there are certain men who I trust, certain men who um, I love sitting underneath their teaching, and in my case, Tony is a little hard to listen to, but he's really great to read, all right? He's also got a systematic theology out, all right? And, I, and I'm not just trying to push his books, but I'm just trying to say that there are some unbelievably good books out that will help you understand the big picture. And I think what Paul is saying right here is, you know what I teach. We spent a long time doing this. You know the doctrines. You know how I live. We live together. We under, you know, we disciple people together. You saw me teach. I watched you teach. We were in it together. He says, you know my purpose in life. What drives Paul? You know, uh, if any of you recognize um, when you get a note from me, or if you're around on a Sunday morning when I do my mic check, um, the people who are in the auditorium when I do my mic check um, are asking me to quote different verses because they're getting bored of the verses that I quote. But I quote my favorite verses. Right, Brian? You do make fun. And, and what happens is that I will always start off with Acts 20.24. And it goes like this. This is Paul talking to the Ephesian elders. And basically he's sharing his purpose of life. And he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul's passion. All right. Absolutely was saying, you know what? I'm becoming less and less and less self-focused. I just am. But what I want to do is finish this race that God has given me. And actually, he uses this often. He's going to use it at the end of 2 Timothy when we finally get there. He's going to say, hey, I finally finished my race. All right, I finally did. How great would that be? And I don't know how long God's going to give each one of us in this room. I don't. But if you're somewhat alive, you know, you don't get killed in a car accident immediately or have a heart attack and go, you know, into a coma. But, but you can die uh, perhaps with family surrounding you and nice soft music happening and, and you, you know, have your mind and you can just take your last breath and then finally meet God. I mean, that would be a kind of a cool way to die. All right. But, but if you could, could you say at the end, you know what, God? I finished the race you gave me. And one of the things you gave me to do is be able to proclaim or shout the gospel of grace. It's just permeating in everything that Paul has. And so he just said, hey, Timothy, you know what my purpose in life is. You know my faith. You know my patience. You know my love. And you know I have endured. Now we look at all those things. And again, these are all key areas 
I think, um, in ministry. But they're also key areas in life. Paul grew in his faith in God. God Paul grew in his patience. You know, one of the things that hit me, um, you remember that Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and no one knows what the thorn is. Some people think it might have been an eye disease. Some people think it might have been stuttering. But either way, if it was one of those two, all right, if you're a church planter or a preacher, stuttering is not the best thing to have. All right? If you are a student and you have this eye disease and, you know, it keeps running, this is still not a good thing. So I'm thinking that Paul had a legitimate, well, request. Oh, Lord, take away this thorn. I would be a much better church planner if you would do that. And really, really what Paul saw, all right, in this whole thing is, you know, I asked God three times to take this away. And God said, no, my grace is going to be sufficient for you. Oh, you know, so, Paul exercised patience. He didn't get his own way all the time. How many times, you know, do we want God to move faster? Or make sure that God knows what our heart is? He says, you know my love. You know what I care about. We've lived together. But the part I want to look at just a little bit is you know that I have endured. You know, as I get older, this endurance thing um, to me is a higher priority. All right. Um, To start a race, and so many of us love starting things, don't we? We love starting projects, we love starting cleaning the closet. We love starting a bathroom. We love starting to whatever you you put it in. But to endure, especially marriage. So many of you are married here. To start a marriage, everything looks pretty good. Right? I mean, you're the cutest you'll probably ever be, the strongest. You know, you're infatuated. You just can't believe that you would ever fight or disagree or any of those types of things. But you know what? You talk to someone who's been married for 10 years. Then talk to someone who's been married for 30 years. And then talk to someone who's been married for 50 years. You go, what, what's the secret? Well, the secret is I endured. She endured. They endured. They kept on moving. They kept dealing with one another, loving one another, forgiving one another, not giving up. And Paul looks at this, and and he's not talking about marriage right here, but what he's saying is that I still have the faith. Now, Timothy, you're going through some tough times right now. I get it. You're a little discouraged right now. I get it. But I want you to know, look at my life. I have endured. In fact, I think what Paul's going to say by the end, he's saying, I am more excited right now on who God is than I've ever been. 
Well, wait a minute. It doesn't make sense. He's in prison. It doesn't make sense that God doesn't answer all of his prayer requests. It doesn't, or does it? Does it make sense that he listened to God and God was with him and God's presence was enough? And so Paul endured. He says, you know about my history, my persecution and suffering in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. You know, turn with me over to Acts. This is, uh, again, uh, maybe you guys have just read this, but this is, this is actually pretty interesting. This is on Paul's first missionary trip. And on his first missionary trip, if you uh, look at Acts 13, he goes to this place called Antioch of Pisidia. Alright? And he goes into this joint, um, goes right to the synagogue, begins preaching, begins teaching. Um, and then I'd, I'd like you to go to verse 38. He finally gets to this place. We have an exact quote. He says, Brothers, listen, we're here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there's forgiveness of your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. Remember at this point, first missionary trip, he's in a Jewish synagogue. He has no problem talking about the gospel and how wonderful this is. He again will mention how they treated Jesus. But he's trying to say, this man Jesus, the Messiah, has the ability for each one of you to be transformed. Alright? Well, look down at verse 43. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. It's pretty amazing. Alright? But then look at verse 44. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear him preach. This is in Antioch. Alright? But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he had said. Then jump down to verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, though, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout all the region. Hey, this is good so far. I mean, there's a little bit of persecution, a little bit of, of conflict that's going on, but the whole city comes out. There are people who are coming to faith. This is an exciting time. Well, what happens, the next place he goes in chapter 14 is Iconium. The same thing happened in Iconium. Verse 1, Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that great number of Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds um, of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about, again, the grace of God. Just overwhelmed with this grace of God. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. Alright? Um, then the mob of Gentiles and Jews, verse 5, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lyconia. 
the towns of Lystra and Derby and the surrounding area. And there they preached the good news. Okay, there's a little bit of conflict in Antioch. All right, a little problem. Then they went to Iconium. Now, they had great success. There were people that were coming to the faith, but the Jews got a little bit riled up again. And literally, the word on the street was, we're going to stone you. Well, Paul wasn't about that. He didn't like that. Okay, so he took off. And he went to the next place, and there they preached the good. The message doesn't stop. He had a little bit of conflict, but here's what happens. When they were at Lystra, and let me just remind you that Lystra was Timothy's hometown. All these are in the same region. They would all be suburbs. My guess is Timothy knew of all three of these cities. He certainly knew of Lystra. All right. But here they are at Lystra. Paul and Barnabas came upon a man who with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached, looking straight at him. Paul realized he had the faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. So this is, again, an unbelievable thing that that happened. All right? But things went south very quickly. Verse 19 Then some of the Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul. Now again, can I just remind you what the stoning is? Stoning is not pebbles. The stoning again is not these little rocks the size of baseballs. But the stoning again in any kind of Jewish circles were quite large boulders. Now, they may throw some things, but the idea was is the man would be huddled in the middle and they would take these larger boulders and just start piling on top of him. All right, or her, but mostly hymns. All right, they use it in stone women. And so, again, there would be this pile on top and usually people would die from suffocation. All right, now there are times when a head would be crushed or something like that, and I, I would imagine that would... Um, you know, bring death quite quickly uh, at that moment. But most of the time, again, people would protect your heads, at least what what um, history would say, and you would die because you couldn't breathe. You, you, your diaphragm was, was just crushed from all the weight of this. So it's kind of a lousy way to die, you know? So here it is. But they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. But as believers gathered around him, he got up, went into town, and the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby and did the exact same thing. All right. Now let's go back to 2 Timothy. What Paul is saying here is saying, I have endured. You know all about, this is verse 11, you know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. What perspective? Now again, if you and I are writing this, what... what God's rescue looks a little odd to me. Alright? I'm thinking a rescue would be a chariot of angels coming down, he's getting in the chariot, and then he goes off to the next city. 
But no, he's starting to get maligned. And so he leaves. And then he hears, well, he's going to get stoned at this next city. And then he leaves. And then he literally does get stoned at the next city. And people thought he was dead. And the Bible says, miraculously, he gets up. No one knows what happened. I don't know if a group of guys got around and started praying for him. I don't know if they were all kind of looking and crying and, Paul, you're dead. And he kind of like, you know, shook it off, got up and started walking <laughs> with his bread and derby. I, I'm not sure of all the details. But his, percept, or his perspective is this. The Lord rescued me. Now here's in this next line. This should shake you up just a little bit. All right? Shakes me up. Yes. And everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul is talking to Timothy. I get it. It was in the midst of a Roman government. I get it that there were people, again, if they didn't like you, didn't necessarily, you know, send you to court, they could stone you and you could die. I get it. But this word of God is applicable today. And what Paul is saying is a principle that, it's a principle that happens today. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, I don't know what that means. I know oftentimes whenever I'd go on mission trips, often you'd be in places that are less, shall we say, fortunate than the United States for the most part. I mean, they're always wealthy in Haiti, and they're wealthy in Jamaica, and they're wealthy in Costa Rica, they're, they're wealthy in Russia. They're, you know, they are wealthy out there. But wealthy sometimes is um, a little bit different. Every place I've ever gone on a mission trip, I've always had it better. My house was nicer, my car was nicer, my health care was better. I made more money. There, not, there wasn't any kind of comparison on, on any of that. And so we often look at things like this. Like, well, you know, godly are going to suffer. They're going to suffer because they don't have as much. And that's more of a Western mentality. I think really the principle is this, is that if you follow God, you are going to be so different than your culture that you will suffer persecution. People will make fun of your God, and people will make fun of your priorities. People will look at you, and again, I don't know how much you discuss on what kind of gifts you give. I don't know if people know how generous you are to the church. I don't know if people look at you and, and wonder why you would spend all summer at a camp. Or why you'd go on a mission trip. Or why you'd go to Haiti for a little bit. People will look at some of those or your neighbors or whatever. Or, or maybe it's you won't do certain things at work because they're unethical. Or you won't lie. Or you won't 
cheat. Or you'll give your boss a full day's work, even though nobody's watching. Now, I don't know if this will cause great persecution. I don't. But I know one thing, is that those who are godly, those who have Jesus as king, those who bow down, those who seek first the kingdom, their priorities are going to be really, really different than everybody else's. And my guess is you are going to be the brunt. Or your family is going to be the brunt. Or your choices are going to be the brunt of following our God. And really, what Paul is just trying to say is, Hey, Timothy, if you're looking for a life of comfort, excuse me, you've lived with me. You've seen it. I've been in prison. I'm now in prison. I am only in prison because I am a God follower. I love God like crazy. His grace absolutely overwhelms me. And I've been telling everybody in this cell, all right, everybody in the dungeon how wonderful God is. I get it, all right. But really, Timothy, I want you to know that God has not called you to a life of comfort. If you follow me, Things will be difficult. In fact, I think that this is really the whole point of these three or four verses. He just wants to warn Timothy that life following God is going to be hard. And then he goes on, and, and just the last verse, but evil people and impostors will flourish. That's odd. That bothers you. Why do the bad guys seem to have the nice cars? You know, how come their houses are bigger? How come there are no weeds in their lawn? That's what I'd like to know. You know, maybe because they have a lawn service. I don't know. But, but you look around and you have all these, you know, how come their kids all graduate? And they actually know what they're doing after they go to college. You know, it's amazing today. And you can go on. How come they look like everything is working out for them? But Paul just reminds them, he says, they will deceive others and they themselves will be deceived. You know, if you would, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. This is a hard text um, because most of us probably wouldn't talk like this. But this is what Paul is writing um, to the Corinthians, and you remember this would be considered like the Las Vegas church. It was a church that um, struggled a whole lot. You know, it was a port city. It was a, um, a place where, you know, the lights actually never went out. Uh, they, they burned the candle at both ends. And there was a church that was started there, and actually it was a church that was thriving, but they had so many issues, so many problems, and Paul would bring them up. 
And actually, there's a little bit of a, um, I would say, a discussion just looking at Paul and his leadership and saying, hey, no, we can follow anyone, or we can, um, you know, you're, you're not the only guy that we can follow. And, and Paul had to keep talking about his authority and keep talking about why he um, was their church planner and why he was their pastor. But in verse 14, he says, I'm not writing these things to shame you, but warn you as my beloved children. For even if you had 10,000 others teach you about Christ, you only have one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. Not only to imitate him in preaching, not only imitate him in sharing with others good news, not only imitate him so that he would be more fathers than just teachers, And again, a father is one that not only teaches, but walks with a son or a daughter, helping them mature, helping them to a place where they can shove them out of the house. I know that's rather, um, you know, rude language. But the idea is that they need to be responsible people who will be able to function in our culture in a very healthy way. And what Paul is talking is spiritually. He said, I want, I want you to imitate me. I also think, you know, all the way through this, Paul was not afraid to say, hey, you, you saw how he dealt with people. You saw how I preached. You saw what was important to me. You saw how I sacrificed. You saw how I endured. You saw how I loved people. All this passage. All right. You saw all that, Timothy. I, I want you to imitate me. All right. There's a lot of people out there who tell you what to do. But I have the authority. We did this together. I proved to you that my God was an amazing God. I listened to my God. I obeyed my God. My God did some things, you know, and we experienced this together. That's what I want you to remember. Imitate me. You know, I think there are a lot of leaders around, but I don't know if there's a lot of godly leaders. And I think these are uh, three questions you could ask yourself and whether you want to come underneath somebody's leadership. And the the reason I'm, I'm actually bringing this around is because I do think as we continue in the times that we have, there's going to be some slick people. And you're going to find that out as we kind of stay in 2 Timothy. There's going to be people that uh, really are good at deceiving. I had a conversation with one of you folks right here uh, last Sunday, just a little bit about what the gospel is and a person who was teaching it. And do I think that that person actually is a follower of God? And to be quite frank, I didn't. You know, I think he's a little bit of a huckster in some ways. But the truth is, if you look at um, this, these would be questions I would ask of Tony Evans. Or I would ask of other people that I respect and say, I want to sit underneath their teaching. Or I want to be underneath their leadership. The first question I would ask is, what do they think about Scripture? 
Um, we're going to be talking about Scripture in just a moment, but, but if they don't have the highest view of Scripture, if they don't believe that the Scripture was God-breathed, and that every word in this book is God's love letter to us, it gives us great authority, it gives us the unbelievable direction that we need, um, I don't think that leader is actually worthy to be followed. Okay, I think any real leader needs to be able to have a high view of the Scripture. Secondly, what about their character? Are they good preachers and don't live what they preach? And I'm not saying there's not a, a, a preacher that doesn't fail. All, all preachers fail. They do. But I have um, been in discussion over and over and over as people look at churches or people uh, even come here from other churches, you know, and I have conversations with them and sometimes they'll tell me about pastors, they'll tell me about leaders, they'll do this and we'll try to realign them well and we'll try to uh, help them understand that, that um, you know, it's not always the best to beat up wherever you just left from and so on and so forth. But realistically, there are some pretty pathetic places that people come from. And leaders have abused um, the sheep. And really, a, a question you could ask is, what is their character? You know, are they above reproach? I mean, that is, that is something, again, that uh, the scriptures talk about quite often. And the third thing, I think this is, this is great. What about their converts? Or what about their disciples? Or when you look at people that um, hang out with them a lot, are they reflecting Jesus? Or are they um, just really cool and have all the right language and the best haircut and all that kind of stuff? Three guidelines to help you discern about godly leadership. What do they think about Scripture? What about their character? And if they're making disciples, which they ought to be, because all of us are into that, are their disciples loving Jesus with all their hearts? That is a great leader, in my opinion. Now we have about 12 minutes here. And what I'd like to do is start into this next section. Um, but want to, to share with you, if some of you are newer to this study, we don't have any timetable, okay? We don't have to finish certain things. And by the way, all these will be on podcasts. Um, if you do miss a study, you want to keep up with it, you're welcome um, uh, to grab the podcast and, and do that. But... The beauty of just teaching expositorily is um, you go through the scriptures, you go at a pace that uh, is good for all of us, and you're able to address issues as they come up. So that's kind of what we're doing here in Second Timothy. So we're going to start in chapter 3, looking at verse four, 14. And I think what I'm going to do is read all the way just through 17. Um, and then we'll hit some of this and continue the rest next week. All right? Verse 14. 
This is the elder statesman. Statesman. This is the person who's in prison. This is the one hoping that Timothy's going to listen. He says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Then he says this, a verse that's so very, very um, familiar. All Scripture is inspired or God-breathed. And it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us what to do when uh, to do what is right. And God uses the scriptures, it, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I'd like to start back up at 14. But you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. Paul is not skipping a beat right here. He says, we have talked a lot about doctrine, about life, about the scriptures. You have learned these scriptures since you've been a little kid. I want you to remain faithful to the scripture. Make sure that you understand what the Bible has to say. And make sure that you say it. You've been taught this. You've been given wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Christ. Now what I'd like to do again, and this is so um, basic for some of you, but, it, but I, I just think it's really important. Whenever you see the word salvation, all right, um, a lot of times we just kind of think about justification. And what I'd like to do is just share with you again, there's three facets or three aspects of salvation. There's the past aspect of salvation or facet of salvation, and that is freedom from the penalty of sin. And this is what we talk about most of the time, or, or even when you talk with your kids or whatever, but it's freedom from the penalty of sin. In other words, each one of us, because we have been separated from God, deserve to die. And if Jesus Christ did not pay our penalty, and we do not have faith in Him, that means that we pay the penalty for our sin, and that means eternal separation from God. Another word that we've used, again, if you're with, with us in the study, is justification. All right? Um, you've been justified. One of the verses that I love using or the passage would be Titus 2, 11, 12, and 13. 11 through 13. For the grace of God that brings us salvation, that's the past aspect, all right, hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Um, the second aspect or second facet is the present tense of salvation. And this is the tense most of us are living in. 
Uh, this is freedom from the power of sin. Power of sin. And we would call this sanctification. I'm sure it's all spelled correctly. Alright? What happens, what happens is this. Is that, yes, we focus on being saved. Of being justified. Of, of being uh, in a place where we do not have to pay the debt for our sin. But where most of us, again, live, and this is what Paul talks a whole lot about in his epistles, is this sanctification, is the present aspect, which is, does sin actually, well, are we free from the bondage of listening sin? If you look at Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, Paul's greatest treatise on this whole thing, is that, hey, no, you are, you are dead to sin. You do not have to listen to sin. You have a new master right now, and you don't have to submit to the sin or to the bent in your life. Now, the truth is, is that all sin leads to death. The fruit of sin leads to death. Here, it's eternal separation from God. But here, if we choose to sin, there are always consequences of choosing disobedience or staying apart from what God's will is for each one of us. So again, when, when the Apostle Paul here writes to Timothy, he says, hey, you know what? You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from, the child, from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Christ. Now the last aspect is the future aspect which is freedom from the presence of sin, that immediate, um, freedom from presence. And this is called glorification. Um, and this is heaven. Alright? I mean, none of us have the freedom or are able to even begin to enjoy not having sin's effect. Our world is looking forward to total redemption. When Jesus comes back and he restores this kingdom and he restores this world, sin has devastated our world, our people, everything. We have no idea actually what um, a world would look like without sin, its power, its pressure, its presence in our world and in our lives. So really what Paul is talking about and what he's trying to encourage Timothy, he's saying, you know what, from the very earliest time in the Holy, from the Holy Scriptures, you have heard about God's grace. You have understood about what salvation is. You recognize that by faith in Christ, you are freed from God's penalty. By putting your faith in Christ, you do not have to let sin rule you now. And eventually, because of your faith in Christ, you will enjoy unbelievable ecstasy in heaven with your Heavenly Father for all of eternity.
Now, as we look at this and, and go just a little bit deeper, he says, then he starts going into all scriptures inspired by God. If you're here next week, let me share with you what I'm going to do. Over the last, I would say, two months, as I've been spending time in God's Word, the importance of God's Word has shouted out to me. It has been like a megaphone. And you need to understand that as I grew up and was part of the church and part of uh, a family where my dad was a pastor and very ministry-oriented, um, the Bible was critical in my life. And as I was put underneath my dad's teaching and other people's teaching, what I realized, again, is that this book is critical. But the difference when I was younger to later, and I can't tell you exactly when, and I can't tell you that everything was always perfect, but there's a difference about knowledge in a book and having the book be able to help you understand who God is. We look at this sometimes as regulations or rules. And I think there are some regulations and rules in here. I do. But we also recognize that as you look at this book, as you understand what the Almighty God has done, that Creator God desires so much for His people, His bride, to experience life, that He gave us this book. And I'm just letting you know, most of us treat it much more casually than we ought. So I'm going to start off next Tuesday sharing with you what I have noticed in the last two months of me just reading the Scripture, of different examples of Ezra and Nehemiah and places in Proverbs and places in Psalms and how people responded in Luke and in Acts. These are all places I've just read through. And God was shouting at me saying, this book is unbelievable. Next week, I'm going to talk about this unbelievable book. This scripture that Paul says is useful to teach us what is true and to realize and help us understand what is wrong in our lives. It will correct us and it will teach us I am just sharing with you, it will prepare you. There's no other book that you can spend your whole lifetime reading, your whole lifetime studying, and every time that you pick this up, the Holy Spirit will give you some fresh insight. I shared a little bit on Sunday. I do not believe I can spend a day without spending time in this book. This book is critical to me, and the older I get, the more I realize I need this every moment of the day. So next week, we're going to start off and just stuff God's been teaching me about the Holy Scripture. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for Timothy. I actually thank you, Lord, that uh, he did struggle, that he was a person in ministry. 
that the Apostle Paul wanted to hand the baton off to him. I pray, dear God, that that you would help us understand Paul's heart. He was a man that walked with you in an unbelievable way. And all the way to the end, he remained faithful and strong, and he endured. I pray, Lord, that we all endure well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thanks, guys, for coming. Thank you.